Thanks for tuning in to the Sojourn Church Podcast. We are a church committed to the gospel in the context of family, living on mission to the city of Portland and our world. For more information, visit our website, sojournpdx.org. Amen. Good morning. Welcome to Sojourn. Thank you, Elena, for leading us in worship through song. It's been, um, you know, with virtual church and online worship and all those things that we've all been thankful for, but some ways endured, it's nice to slowly be getting back to some level of uh, in-person engagement and to have the same background <laughs> when, we, when we look at things. So really appreciate that. Elena will be with us uh, for this summer months, leading us in worship, and so... We look forward to that, and we're also praying for our long-term worship uh, leader. And so if you know of anyone who's interested in looking, please let me know. Uh, we actually are talking to an individual right now, so we're praying for that, and that maybe they are our long-term person that God would be calling to join us here. Uh, we are looking this morning at building a faith that will last from the Sermon on the Mount. So we have been in this sermon for six months. Jesus preached it probably in 20 minutes, but it's taken Sojourn Church about six months to go through it. I don't know if that's because I'm long-winded or it's just that difficult and you know challenging for us to really grasp and get this. So go ahead and turn in your Bibles or open the app on your phone to Matthew chapter 7, where we will be looking at verses 24 through 27 here in just a few minutes. Speaking of building something that will last, we all know that a strong foundation is vital for any structure. We actually have an architect in the room who probably knows that better than any of us. And in the year 1174, the Italian architect Bonanno Pisano began work on what became the most famous project a separate standing bell tower from the cathedral of the city of Pisa. The tower was eight stories tall, 180, or eight stories, 180 foot tall, 85 feet tall, and there was just one little problem. The builders quickly discovered the soil was far too shallow for the tower that he was building in that place. It couldn't hold and support the structure that they were building. So sure enough, before long, the whole structure began to tilt, and it continued to tilt until it finally, the architect and the builders realized there could be nothing done to make this tower not lean. And so the leaning tower, Pisa, yeah, Pisa as we know it, is still there today. Not pizza, but... <laughs> uh, so they couldn't do anything to make it straight again. So they realized the soil's shallow, it starts leaning, and there's nothing we can do to actually make it stand up straight, which it's supposed to do. It took 176 years. I actually didn't know this until this week. It took 176 years to build the tower of Pisa. During that time, many things were done to try and compensate for the tilt. I think 170, that's a long time to invest in one project, and the thing is still <laughs> tilted. The foundation was shored up, they upward the levels, or even built at an angle to try and compensate for it. Nothing worked. The tower to date has stood for over 800 years, but experts expect that one day it probably will fall, and it leans 18 feet away from where it should actually be. And so, has anyone in the room actually seen the... Okay, I figured we had at least one person in the room who has seen it. I've not, but one day, hopefully, we will actually get to see it. I tell you that story because in today's text, Jesus is going to instruct us on how to build our lives. How to build our faith on a strong and firm foundation. One that will last and endure even through the trials of life. So let me pray for us and then we'll actually dive into the text. God, we thank you again for this morning. Thank you for allowing us to come together as your people who you have called out. God, some of us live here permanently. Some of us are here for the summer. God, some of us will go back and listen to this on our podcast later or watch the video later. And so, God, we ask whenever it is that they're hearing this, that your word would be made alive 
and real. God, I know through the last six months in the Sermon on the Mount, I just realized how relevant this is today. As It's as if you were just now delivering it to us in our culture. And so, God, I pray that we know your Spirit's with us, but I ask that the Spirit would move me out of the way and that you would make your word clear, especially where I'm not clear. That's in your name, by your power, we pray. Amen. All right, Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 through 27. This is how Jesus ends the Sermon on the Mount. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. So we see that Jesus comes and he uses a final parable to conclude his sermon. Where he's told his audience the last several weeks, you have to choose. Now that I've delivered all this message to you, you have to choose between the path to life and the path to destruction. You have to choose if you're going to follow false teachers or follow me. You have to choose if you're going to actually be a real believer or someone who looks like it, but that you're actually not. And so what Jesus has done, he's kind of come in and made... He's kind of laid all his cards out there. He says, here it is. I've laid it out there for you. And now you have to make your decision. And so Jesus is actually drawing a dividing line. I can see he's like, he's in the sand. It's like he draws this line, which we don't like to do today, right? He's drawing this line and says, you have to choose between me, between myself, and any other foundation where you would build your life. But you can't have it both ways, like the culture would tell us. You can't kind of pick and choose and do it this way. He says, it's either this way or this way. You're the in or you're out. And so he comes and delivers some really, really hard teaching for us. And so what we're going to see in this passage this morning, this, these few verses, is first we get a parable about the person who both hears and practices. In other words, they do what Jesus actually has said in this sermon. And then our second ver- two verses, we'll see Jesus come with a parable about the person who does hear the words of Jesus, but they do not actually practice the teaching that Jesus has given them. Now, we see the evidence of whether one is truly a believer in Christ and follow him, whether one actually does the word of Jesus. We talked about it last couple of weeks. Any of us can come in and say that we're something, but we're not actually that thing. You know, I can come in, I told you guys last week, I come in in all leather with a motorcycle helmet and pretend I'm a biker, right? And make my beard look a certain way, and I've got the long hair, and I've got a chain wallet. But you guys all know I don't own a motorcycle. I'm not actually a biker. My wife would be the very first one to call me out on that. <laughs> Okay, now maybe eventually, and it won't be a midlife crisis, it's because my wife won't let me get a motorcycle yet, and one day maybe she will. But Jesus kind of says, it's one who actually does my word, one who actually follows my teachings. James 1, 22-23, I think it was a year ago we were in the book of James, he says, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, then leaves and forgets it. James 2 Verses 20-22. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works? Then he offered up his son Isaac on the altar. You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. Okay, so let's look back at verse 24. Let me read it for you again. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. So Jesus comes in, he says a wise man or a woman, he wasn't discluding women in the room. He says, disciples, those are those who build their lives, their bedrock on me, on Jesus and his message of the kingdom of heaven, which he has been proclaiming for this entire sermon. And he said, if you do that, you are truly a wise person. 
regardless of the shifting cultural religious fashions around you. And we still see that today, right? Things will kind of come in and trends and things will kind of shift and change. And we're actually seeing that a lot right now. I'm not going to give specific examples. And it's like, well, we should kind of go this way with the culture. We should kind of shift this way and to be the church today and to be relevant today. And he says, I don't care about any of that. I don't care about being relevant in the sense that you're referring to as the culture refers to. But are you going to follow me? And are you going to build your life upon me, even when it's not popular? And here's the reality. It's probably not going to be popular. In our city, it's definitely not going to be popular. I mean, the whole Sermon on the Mount is about being a countercultural group of people. You know, I know we live in this countercultural city, right? That's what Portland's looked at. But the reality is the church of Portland, not just Sojourn, but the church should be the ones in the city who are leading the charge of what it means to actually be countercultural. And that we're not going with the norms and the trends of society. Last week, we saw the difference between saying and doing something. And then this week, we see the contrast between hearing and doing something. And so we see a wise person represents those who put Jesus' words into practice. That they are building a strong foundation. One that is unshakable and that's able to withstand anything. Now, it's one thing to hear what Jesus said. It's even another thing to approve of what Jesus said. You kind of nod your head and, you know, this is when you kind of like, amen. Right? You hear it. Go, yes, I, I hear it and I approve of it. But it's quite another to actually obey it. Right? We can hear his word. We can read his word. And we can even go, man, I, yes, 100%. But then, do you actually walk that out and actually live that? Now, sometimes it might be easy to do, but what about when it's really, really tough? What about when it's something that all of a sudden it affects your family? What about when it's a friend of yours who's walking through something, and you go, man, I hold this conviction because this is what Jesus taught, but now I see this experience that you're having, or now maybe my feelings are changing. Do you submit that to the Lordship of Christ and that firm foundation, or is it sandy and you just kind of um, go, you know, as the sand, we were down the coast on Monday, and we just, you know, the wind blows, and the sand's kind of flying everywhere. Is that how your life is? It just kind of, you get blown away? And Jesus tells us the, the result of obedience. He said that those who put my teaching into practice, those who obey my teaching, you are looked at as a wise person. I think all of us would say that we would love to be wise people. And the, his wisdom is shown in the fact that he built his house on the rock, the most solid of foundations, that he chose the right foundation to build his house. And so success in the kingdom of God, once again, because the whole sermon now is looking at the kingdom of God. And we talk about in the Lord's Prayer that, Lord, it would be here in Portland as it is in heaven. So, well, what does success look like? Well, success then is obedience, not just hearing God's word, not just attending a church gathering or a gospel community. It's not your role or your title or your status, but it really is as simple as hearing the word that Jesus is proclaiming, seeing what he says, and obeying it. Now, so there's not, hopefully, miscommunication here. This doesn't mean perfection. Because I know some people might hear this and you think, man, I mess up. <laughs> I sin often. Can I get a witness? Like, right? Right? Good. Everyone raise their hand, I think. Except for my three kids and you're all lying. So you think, man, maybe I'm the person who's built my life on sand because I still mess up. I still sin. But for those of you who have built your life and faith on the foundation of Jesus, and I want you to hopefully get this part, then you're on this journey of learning what it means to follow Jesus. That's a whole tagline. We use it sojourn a lot. Well, we use it. I use it to sojourn a lot. And we're inviting everyone on this journey of learning what it means to follow Jesus. And then we add that, follow Jesus faithfully. And some of us are different spots in that journey, and that's okay. But that, if you're building your life on the foundation of Jesus and that solid foundation, that's what it's going to be a life of. And so do you want to know what obedience will look like most often in your Christian walk? Do you know what obedience is going to look like? Obedience will most often be your confession of your disobedience. And so the most consistent way that you will obey Jesus is confession and repentance of how you just disobeyed Jesus. 
because it happens time and time again. This is why pre-COVID, and Lord willing, we're getting close to doing it again, we would do communion every single Sunday as part of our response. Not as a religious practice or religious duty, but it was a way for us to be reminded of our confession and repentance that we need it in Jesus, the, the, that we proclaim in the songs that we sing, that we proclaim in the word of God, but it was that reminder for us that, man, I left this stamp building, I walked out the door, and maybe I got to the bottom of the steps, and maybe I sinned. Maybe I cussed. Um, or maybe you cussed, I mean. And maybe I got down the street and I, I talked harshly to my wife or to my kids. Or maybe you did. Maybe you made it all of Sunday afternoon, but then Monday came and you know, had a bad day at work. Whatever it was, we forget that very quickly. And so then we come back together, even as a community, that we can, man, okay, we are going to practice this. Mark 1, verses 14 and 15 says, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Martin Luther, I love this quote, very short. He says, all of life is repentance. As I think about your life, all of life is repentance. And so if you are building your life on that strong foundation of Jesus, it doesn't mean that you've arrived and you're never going to mess up, you're never going to sin, and now you walk and live this perfect life. But it's going to be one of continual repentance. Now look again at verse 25. It says, and the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. Now, for context here, during the hot summer months in Galilee, the sand around the Sea of Galilee was hard on the surface, which is why a wise builder, one who knew what they were actually doing, they would dig several feet below the surface to the bedrock in order to establish the foundation for the house. Now, the reality is life is really, really hard. Right? It's got lots of challenges, lots of up and downs. I know we have some 20-somethings who are graduating college or getting ready to graduate college. and Unfortunately, that's kind of like the peak of easiness in my mind as I look now in my mid-30s. Like, the older I get, the more I realize, man, life is really, really hard. There's just a lot of challenges. You just never quite feel like you're ahead. And in the reality, the Christian life is really hard. In some ways, the Christian life, I feel like in this life, can make it even harder if you're trying to obey and practice teachings of Jesus. But by basing your life on the solid claims of Jesus, by basing your life on the solid rock of Jesus, it doesn't mean your life will get any easier. Now, there are some churches that will tell you that, and there's this kind of fluffy messages that make us all feel good. You know, my point is never to make you feel good. My point is to never make you feel bad either, but I want the Word of God to speak to us, and that the Word of God is, is powerful and mighty in and of itself. But the point of life, and the point of what Jesus teaches, is not to make you feel good. This doesn't mean by building your life on the, on the bedrock of Jesus that you're going to escape the storms of life, because you won't. It doesn't mean you won't face spiritual warfare, because you will. It doesn't mean you won't face hell on earth, but what it does mean is that every time you obey Jesus, you are building your life on the rock. Every time a storm of life comes, you may take a beating, but your foundation will not be shaken. And every time you encounter a false teacher, as we looked at two weeks ago, or some kind of teaching that you won't be drawn in, because your life is built on the firm foundation of Jesus. Because you are built on that rock. Now, Jesus told us these first two verses. that This is what a person who hears or practices, this is what their life looks like. They built their faith on this firm and solid foundation of Jesus himself. Now, let's look at a person who hears and does not practice what he says. So we're going to look at the following two verses, uh, verse 26 and 27 again. It says, And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and it beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Now hopefully, 
at least for those who've been with us for any length of time for the Sermon on the Mount, we should understand contextually that this passage is, is pointing to the differences between the religious establishment of Jesus' day, most commonly called the Pharisees. That the Pharisees had embraced some kind of mere self-righteousness, like this surface-level self-righteousness. They knew what clothing to wear. They knew what things to say. They even knew some of the religious practices to follow to where you would look at them on the surface and go, man, like they have arrived, and they are the ones who, who, who have had their act together. But their foundation was what was actually unstable. Now, if you look at Jesus' parable of the two builders, we see that the wise man, he dug really deep in order to construct his house on the rock. But the foolish man didn't want to be bothered with the foundation because it was quicker just to build his house on the sand. Now, I'm not a handyman by any stretch. And once again, my wife can attest to that, who has a degree in architecture. And so if you want a house built, do not come to me. Because it will definitely be like a sandy house. Because I'll be like, why do I want to take all this time to build this really big foundation when we can just start right here, right? This is going to save us a lot of time and a lot of money. I'm all about saving money. I'm a church planner. We like to live on a shoestring budget. So I would be that person. And it could maybe, it probably wouldn't look good if I built it, but it might look good. And you might go, wow, that looks great. But as soon as the storm hits, your house is going to fall. And so that's what we look at with these Pharisees here. And so upon the first appearance, we wouldn't necessarily notice any difference. This is what we looked at with the false teachers. You know, we said that we, a lot of times we think false teachers are going to come with like horns sticking out of their head and a, a name tag that says, I'm a false teacher. But they don't. They look, you know, they, they attend church faithfully. They know the Bible verses. They know these things. And that's why we are easily fooled into to believing them, thinking them. And so at first notice, we wouldn't notice any difference between these two houses or these two lives. You would look at the two and go, man, they both look gorgeous. And importantly, we put a price tag of $600,000 on both of them, and we would pay $700,000 for that house. And it's the same with the previous two sermons that we looked at, with false teachers and false believers. A casual observer wouldn't notice any difference in them. You would look at two next to each other and go, well, they look the same. But the difference is in what we can't see. The difference is in the foundation itself. And so the difference isn't what we can see on the surface level. It's what we can't see. It's internal it's only once the storms of life come. It's only once the, the life gets hectic and crazy that we see the most important fundamental difference. That's when it's revealed. Whatever their life is built upon, when the storms of life come and hit, when the realities of the hardness of life hit, that's when we'll see the difference because what they're built on will either crumble or will stand firm. So once again, it doesn't mean you avoid all those things. You don't. Everyone goes through those. But it will reveal what your life is actually built upon. And so this is why, and once again, we're not the judge. God's the ultimate judge, and God knows people's hearts. But you see some people sometimes, if you're like me, I grew up in church, and you go, what happened to that person? They want nothing to do with Jesus now. They want nothing to do with this church. What happened to that entire family? And what did you realize when you read this passage? I just don't know that their life was ever truly built upon it. They knew the right words to say. They attended church faithfully. They maybe even gave and prayed, and they maybe even led Bible studies. They may have done all these things that we would have said, man... They're the superstar Christian, but internally, what was it built on? If it wasn't actually built on Jesus, it was built on something else, then you would see it crumble when life gets hard and challenging. And so we see the house on the rock, while taking a beating, will ultimately withstand the storm because it's on a firm foundation. The house on the sand will not last long. It will quickly collapse because of the weak foundation. It's the same way with those who profess Christ as Lord. Because according to this passage, and I've tried to point this out week in and week out, because I think a lot of times we think of those who maybe have never been in church and maybe have never proclaimed this thing. But according to Jesus, both of these groups, he says, they hear these words of mine. 
And so they both sat maybe in the church services. They both sat in the chapel services. They both sat in the Bible studies. They both met in the small groups in the gospel communities. They, they hear these words of mine. So once again, Jesus is not referring here to unreached people groups in other countries. This is not the people who have never heard the good news of Jesus proclaimed. But these are people who have heard the good news proclaimed. These are people who have likely been part of Christian community. These are people who read their Bible, attend church. They might even be people who we look at as leaders. But the reason we cannot tell the difference between them is because a part of them we cannot see. It's ultimately the foundation upon which they have built their life. So, or therefore, as we often see in Scripture, the question is not whether they have heard the teachings of Jesus, it's but have they obeyed the teachings of Jesus. So the question is, have they heard the teachings of Jesus, but have, are they obeying the teachings of Jesus? You know, once again, this is why I say, go back and read the Word for yourself. Because I'm human. It's possible I make a mistake. It's possible I say something wrong, or I'm just not clear in my... And my delivery on my message. So go back and read it for yourself. But if you've heard the word proclaimed, and you've studied it, and you know the word, but are you actually obeying the word of God? And here's the reality. A lot of times we don't know until the storms of life will hit. And what do the storms of life do? They reveal the truth. The storms of life will reveal what it is you built your life upon. James chapter 1, verse 3 and 4 says, For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, Lacking in nothing. And so do we do what we say and do we and do what we know? Right? So if you've been in church for any length of time, if you study God's word for any time, right? Sometimes I'll say something to my kids and then I won't actually do it. And they'll call me out. I'm like, Dad, you did it. I'll say, do what I say, not what I do. <laughs> but do you do what you say you know and what we actually know? Like? Are you following what Jesus has given to you? We see this happen in Portland a lot. Okay? This is a land filled with transplants. In fact, in the room this morning, none of us were born in Oregon. Okay? So it's a landfill of transplants. And here's the reality. Everyone comes to Portland looking for something. Portland's looked at as a place for new starts. A place where people can trade their pain, their oppression, or their mistakes for a new life. You know? That's, that's kind of the luster of this city. Like, here's an offer on a new life. Leave your old life behind. Whether you're moving up from California, or moving from the Midwest, or moving from the Southeast, come here. As a random side note, I noticed yesterday, I see more uh, license plates from Texas and Florida than probably anywhere, any other state on that side of the country, which is really, really interesting. I don't know if they're all moving here or just checking it out to get a different weather for a while. But a new start, as A.J. Swoboda, who used to be a pastor here in Portland, is now down in Eugene, he describes it it always implies that something else has ended. In order to come here, one must be willing or wanting to leave something behind. Because so few people who live here are actually from here, this means a lot of things get left behind. So Boda poses this question. He says, what is it exactly that makes Portland such a hard place for religion in general and Christianity in particular? Now, I've been contemplating doing a doctorate at their work. I don't know if I'll ever actually do it. But as I came across this question this week, I thought, if I do a doctorate, that might be the question I try to answer. But focused broadly on the Pacific Northwest. He actually, I, I put Portland there. He calls it the Cascadia. So he's kind of talking about the whole Pacific Northwest when he asked that question. I thought, man, that might be what I spend my time, I'm actually spending my time doing a doctorate, trying to answer that question. Now, Patricia Killen, she's a sociologist at Gonzaga University. She explored this question carefully in her article, Faithless in Seattle, because she's also focusing on the whole Pacific Northwest. And she explores three aspects of what she calls social ecology. First, there's a general disconnect for the past for those who come here. If someone comes here, it is for a reason. No one takes the Oregon Trail to Portland accidentally. Second, there's a low cultural density. 
meaning that people are dispersed over greater distances than anywhere else in the country. Because of that, people are less likely to have ongoing contact with people who think differently than they do. This is a great place to remain anonymous and isolated. And I think we see that as in the culture of Portland. I've been here for, I think, about two weeks shy, maybe a week shy of four years in Portland. And I think that you see that more and more, that people like to remain anonymous, and a lot of times people remain isolated, which is really weird, because I know some of you are just visiting for the summer, and you know Portland like this community-oriented thing. Like, we are that on one hand, but then there's this weirdness. We're also anonymous and isolated at the really same time. It's just really weird, like, you have to go through this and experience it to really, like, see it. It's like, we come together as a community, and we care about things, and we give stuff away to everyone, but then there's also, like, isolation, and you're made anonymous. I think the pandemic actually revealed that. And I think the pandemic, you know, going to the, the sand and the rock, the pandemic revealed what people have built their community on. And if the community is really, really shaky, they're we're kind of like, man, I'm isolated, I'm lonely. We help pay rent of some people, and I remember one lady was just, I'm just lonely, I have no community, and I don't know where to find it. Third, the sociologist said, there is a phenomenon of physical and social mobility. She said, people come here from elsewhere, and once they relocate, they move around more than anyone else. Adventurers have long been drawn to the great expanse of this place. And say, so while this is true, and while I agree wholeheartedly, which is kind of her three main points, we see this happen a lot. We've seen this happen a lot. We've experienced it a lot. It points back ultimately to the foundation of their life was built upon in the first place. Because their, their foundation of their life, and he specifically is, is looking at referring to people of faith here. If the foundation of their life, if the foundation of their walk with God was actually built on themselves, if it was built on sandy soil, then of course they're going to come here and it's going to crumble. Time and time again, the longer I'm here, the more I see it. You see people come in who are claiming Christianity still, they're claiming Jesus. He's looking at religion broadly, but let's just localize it for us. And then within a matter of months or a year, suddenly see, okay, now they're like just them and Jesus. Which once again, Jesus never designed it that way, so we can't actually do that. But it's like, you know, I don't like your bride, Jesus, but I like you. Okay, that's step one. And then before you know it, it's like, you know, within a matter of a year, sometimes less, we'll see that they don't want anything to do with Jesus at all. I know a number of church planners in the city. I'm connected to them. And I asked someone just last week, I said, hey, is so-and-so still around? And I know you used to work at the coffee shop. He goes, yeah, he's still around. He wants nothing to do with us. He wants nothing to do with the church or Jesus. And you see that happen time and time and time again. And for the longest time, I thought, man, Portland is so hard and so crazy and so spiritually dark that people come here and they just get sucked in with it and it like, you know, zaps them or something. And you walk through this just darkness. And then the longer I'm here, I realize, yes, that there's part of that's true. It's really, really hard and it's spiritually dark. But it's that their foundation was never actually built on Jesus. It was built on something else entirely. And when they came to a place like Portland, when they came to the Pacific Northwest, where it's the land of adventure, and you do you and I do me, you realize that their life was built on something else entirely and that it crumbled. And so I think we see that time and time and time again. Now let's localize this teaching of Jesus for just a minute. We've actually been in this sermon, I said for six months, we've been in it for 28 weeks, which would be seven months. We've been in this sermon so long, I'm thinking about just starting it all over again. <laughs> but it is one thing to hear a sermon, and it's another to actually do it. Now, I know some of you are new this week, but hopefully others will go back and watch online once we have this recording posted. So let me ask you, how has God been working in your life as you've been hearing the Word of God? How have you specifically come to obey the Sermon on the Mount, the actual words of teachings of Jesus? Are you desiring to be poor in spirit? Are you hungering and thirsting for righteousness? Are we as a community being a city on a hill? Are we actually loving our enemies? So how have you done, not in hearing the word of God proclaimed week in and week out, but how have you done actually obeying the word 
of God. And if there was any reason I would go XR all over, it's because I think all of us, myself included, collectively go, man, we've done okay, but we haven't done great. Let's go back and do it all over again. And so the question then is, do you trust him enough? Do you trust God enough to build your life on him and his word? Because that is the life that's built on a solid rock foundation. And what Jesus is stressing, however, is that those who truly hear the gospel that he's proclaiming and they profess, profess faith will always obey him, expressing their faith in their works. And where do you see Jesus' work and rock status most clearly? In his resurrection. Because when he's on the cross about to die, he looks shaky, right? When Jesus goes to the cross, I mean, think about the, the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. I preached that, I think, two Easter's ago. But I love that imagery because they're walking along this road. Jesus is actually walking with them. And he says, and they, they say to each other, but we had hoped. And you kind of hear in their hopeness, they're like, ah, we had thought he was the one. We had hoped that he was the one. But then they're, they're kind of like confused because he died. Even though he told them, I'm coming back to life. And so when Jesus is about to die on the cross, he looks kind of shaky. It's almost like he is losing. You know, that, that's when it almost feels like, man, we got it wrong. We built our lives on the sand, and we were thinking Jesus was a rock. But that's when it looks like that. But then, three days later, when Jesus rose from the dead, he displayed nothing is as strong as him. Nothing is as safe as him or as sound as him. That Jesus is the rock of life, and only he cannot, he does not erode when the tides of life hit him. The storms of life cannot crush Jesus. They can crush us, but not Jesus. And Jesus is the rock that is stronger than other people's disapproval of you. He is the rock that when everything else hits it, it shatters. Your sin, your shame, your guilt, the suffering shatter against him. And so while, yes, we might get beat up and we might feel a certain way when we wake up tomorrow or even this afternoon, that it doesn't affect Jesus. And so for your life to be built upon him and him alone, are you going to be able to withstand this life? He is the rock that nothing can undo and nothing can shake. Everyone and everything else in your life will fail you. Okay? Even if you have the best of friends and the best of spouses, they will fail you on some level. And, and think about that reality. We kind of put these expectations on people, don't we? Like, if you're roommates, like, here's how I want you to be my roommate. Okay? Even if it's for a summer. <laughs> if you're my spouse, here's how I want you to be my spouse, including my roommate including how you love me and care for me, right? And some of those things are good and fine, but here's the reality. At some point, you're going to fail. That you're going to have a bad day, and you're going, oh, I just went down. But here's the thing. Nobody can stand up to the tides of your neediness. I mean, let's be honest. Most of us, and I'll just, once again, I'll put myself out here, so I'm not picking on any of you. Most of us need approval every day. Nobody can actually handle that pressure. You know, I, I, I need the approval, Right? It's one of those things where it's like, hey, I, you know, I'm, I'm a verbal processor. So, Andrea and I go through this a lot where I'm like, it'll be after a Wednesday night at Gospel Community or after a Sunday. I'm asking kind of like, I'm throwing her bait out there without having to actually do it. Like, hey, so what did you do about Sunday? That was good. Okay, how was the message? You know, I was like, sometimes I need that approval because I'm a shallow individual like some of you. I'm like, okay, does it, was it bad? Do you think anybody was tracking with me? Do it, should I re go, you know, take that one offline so no one else hears it? What should we do? <laughs> And then I have sins, and I will continue to fail you. And I'm going to continue to need forgiveness. Yet Jesus, he is the rock where my sin shatters against him. Whether it's big, whether it's small, that Jesus' word said you need to obey and you need to do it now. And when our hearts are soft towards God, that's when we need to seize the opportunity. What I mean by that is we also go through these seasons of hardness of heart. Even as Christ followers, 
Or you think, man, this just isn't working. Or, man, why did I experience that, God? Like, I thought you loved me. I didn't experience it. So we go through these things. We go through these seasons where I can question God. But there's other times where our hearts are a little open and a little soft. And it's a little more pliable and mushy. And you can kind of, you know, think about kids' Play-Doh and you can make it into something. And so maybe you're in that season. If you are, it's to be open to God. Seize the opportunity to obey him now. Even when you go, God, I don't necessarily see it. I don't necessarily know what's going to happen in the outcome. God, last time I did that, I think like a backfire in my face. But as you are open, seize that opportunity to obey him now. You might say, God, this is the area that's hard for me to obey you. But I'm going to do this because I'm choosing to believe you and your word, not me and my word and not my feelings. And so the Sermon on the Mount ends on the same note of radical choice that we have seen throughout these seven months. Jesus has not set before us a, a string of easy ethical rules so much as a set of values and ideals of which is entirely distinctive from the way of the world. Jesus has given us this countercultural lifestyle of what it means to be a follower of him and, and what it means to follow him. He calls us to renounce the prevailing secular culture around us in favor of his Christian counterculture. This is the same call for us today in the city of Portland. Once again, a city known to be counterculture, but the Christian community is the true counterculture. And I think we can show that to our city, but in a way that we do it with love, right? You have to think the whole Sermon on the Mount like it's a complete package deal. Because we might hear this and go, cool, I'm going to go out and just be in people's face today. And we're going to tell them they're dying and they're going to go to destruction. Like, I don't think that's how Jesus tells us to do it, right? You have to read the whole thing, which once again, maybe we'll go back and start it all over. But we have to do it in love. Does that mean that we, we compromise on the message itself? You know, I think right now we're always, even the culture likes to give us two choices. Well, if, you're, if you don't agree with this and don't affirm this, you're being unloving. Like, no, you can actually disagree with somebody and do it in a loving way. And say, hey, you know, just have an actual normal conversation with somebody. Show them that you love them. And repeatedly, Jesus called us to be different from everyone else. Jesus called us to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And so the overriding purpose of the Sermon on the Mount is to present us with this alternative. And so sojourn, therefore, Jesus says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And so is that you? Is that, is that how you are building your foundation? Are you building your foundation on the rock of Jesus? Are you building your foundation on something else? Because you can't live and exist in this culture very long without it being revealed. And so I'm going to pray for us. Elena will come back up and she's going to lead us in a time of response where we get to sing a, a song of praise to Jesus. But you take time for whatever God has revealed to you. Maybe there's something you need to talk to him about this morning. I don't know. So don't feel like you have to jump up right away and, and start singing. If you need to take a moment just to reflect before you do that, then take that time. So let me pray for us and then we'll respond. God, we thank you for you. God, you are holy and worthy to be praised. God, we want to build our lives upon you and your solid foundation. God, we thank you for calling us to yourself. God, I ask that we would continue this journey of learning what it means to follow you faithfully. God, our lives would be built upon you and you alone. And God, when it gets tough, and it will get tough. God, when we look different from the way our neighbors live and our co-workers and our friends and family. God, that's why we have each other in addition to you. That one, we'll realize we're not alone in that, but God, we'll realize that we're living out this countercultural lifestyle that you've given us that, that will look vastly different from the culture where you have called us to live as missionaries. God, we thank you for the Sermon on the Mount. Wow, just 
even if that, that was all you've given us, God, just to live that out. And I do pray that we haven't just heard seven months' worth of messages. But God, that this has actually impacted our life. God, it's actually challenged us to obey you in new ways. God, that we would continue on our own to just study through these words that you have given us. And God, that we can invite the city of Portland to also follow you on this journey. By your name and your power, pray, Jesus. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. We'd love to hear how God is working in your life. You can connect with us and find more available teachings and resources at our website, sojournpdx.org.